Our reading tonight is from Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 63, and can be found on page 1059 of the Church Bibles in front of you. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, just help us as we come to this passage. It's a short one, and one that many of us will probably be familiar with, but we just pray that nonetheless you will speak to us through it and help us to wonder anew at the Lord Jesus. Amen. So this passage is all about identity. And identity is a big theme, isn't it, in, a, in our culture and in uh, virtually everything we watch. Um, in Nola Holmes 2, a film completely ruined by a little obsession with identity. Maybe you don't think so. It's a great film. Uh, World Cup. Identity, doesn't it? Keeps cropping up. So identity is a big thing in our society. And Luke, for Luke, identity is a big thing in this passage. But of course, it's not identity of you or me, but it's the identity of Jesus Christ. As ever, these passages, they've been illustrated by so many people, so I couldn't resist looking for another uh, painting. Um, and I came across one painted by a Russian artist, Nikolai Zhi, in, or Guy, uh, painted in 1882. And what I really liked about this painting was that Tsar Alexander III, who you all know well, Tsar Alexander III hated it. Now, Tsar Alexander III is Putin's favourite Tsar. So his opinions, uh, I'm not sure whether they count or not, but when Tsar Alexander III saw this picture, which he was given to show in the, an exhibition at Petersburg, St. Petersburg, his response was, well, what kind of a Christ is that? What? What do you do? I'm getting pointed at, dear. What? I know it's still in there, but we haven't got to the picture yet my little teleprompt he looks at the picture 
And he says, what kind of a Christ is that? Well, here's the picture. Judas, oh no, that's not the picture, there's our Alexander III. So I, I really have been messed around down here. Here's the picture, there we go. That's what we're going to have. We'll just leave it up and then it's done. Now, remember Christ? It's not Jesus' name. Christ is, 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 is another word for Messiah. just depends with you which, which language you're using. And, and that is God's anointed rescuer, if you like. That's, the, uh, that's what a Messiah means. It's our rescuer. He's a saviour anointed by God. So, Tsar Alexander looks at this and says, well, what kind of a rescuer is this? What kind of a rescuer is Jesus? And so you might even struggle to find Jesus. As I look at it, Jesus is that shadowy, small little figure on the left-hand side. And, and this picture shows the end of the reading we've just been read. It's called The Judgment of the Sanhedrin. He is guilty. So what kind of a Christ is this? It's a, it's a good question. And actually... It's exactly why Luke wrote his gospel, isn't it? We've referenced this before. Luke chapter 1, verse 4. I have written all this down so that you can be certain. So that we can be sure of exactly who Jesus is. Now these paintings, uh, at this sort of time, uh, the light, I think, is amazing uh, over Caiaphas and people like that. And that effect was caused by putting layer upon layer of paint, one on top of the other, but putting each layer on before it was dry, so that they sort of blended together and the light comes through and touches all the different colours. And the way Luke has presented this trial, he's edited down hours and hours of, well, abuse really, and court hearings, He's edited it down and he's given us, if you like, four layers laid one on top of each other as we begin to understand who Jesus is. Um, When I'm not watching Enola Holmes or the World Cup, uh, I'm persuaded to watch worthy films uh, like The Reluctant Convert, which is the film that's just come out of C.S. Lewis' uh, Conversion. It is not as exciting as Enola Holmes. It is more exciting than watching England play the USA. Somewhere between the two. But what's interesting as C.S. Lewis is that he goes through a journey. And over the years, and it's many years, slowly his understanding of who Jesus is grows until he reaches the point of realisation of who Jesus really is. So wherever you are in your thinking, maybe you're a reluctant convert uh, in, the, in the making, then this passage takes us through understanding Jesus' claims and why we take them seriously. And they kick off with verse 64. Verse 64, actually it's not what Jesus is saying, it's what the soldiers are saying who are uh, beating Jesus up. And they're saying, well, if you're a prophet, prophesy. It's the first description that gets attached to Jesus in this little passage. And, of course, the soldiers are making a joke of it. You know, it's who hit you. That's obviously a pretty feeble understanding of what a prophet is, isn't it? A prophet in the Bible is, is a man appointed by God, or a woman appointed by God, to speak God's word into a situation 
and, and to lead a nation into obedience. Well, the soldiers aren't thinking like that. They're just making a joke of it. Actually, flick on Acts chapter 3, Peter sort of says, it wasn't a joke. Jesus was a prophet, is a prophet. He is the prophet foretold to follow from Moses. The soldiers didn't know it, but they were exactly right. Jesus is a prophet. He is leading us in obedience to God. But of course, that's just the first layer. We can't stop there. Um, it's quite convenient to stop there. The soldiers stop there. That's a, that's a, that's a nice, easy place to have Jesus. Um, Many folk, Muslims included, would say that's who Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't allow the conversation to stop there. Verse 67, they say, if you're the Messiah, tell us. Now, Messiah is another great loaded word that's got an awful lot of stuff to, to, to unpack. Um, as we just said, the sort of anointed rescuer, God's special rescuer. But the, the way people would have thought of him in those days, I, I think actually folk were fairly mixed up. Uh, uh, and probably, the nearest I could think of this was, and we're on a bit of a film theme tonight, I know, uh, but Black Panther, rescuing Wakanda, for those of you who are into the sort of the, the superheroes, you know, that, that, that sort of rather mystical, kingly figure coming back to save the kingdom. Um, if you're my generation, you might think of it in terms of a Skywalker saving the Federation. It's, it's, it's not a necessarily terribly thought through concept in many people's idea. It is just this person who is going to come back empowered by God to put everything right. Uh, and, and the biblical scholars would have perhaps looked back to people like King David or Hezekiah or even King Cyrus as examples of what this person could be. So are you the Messiah? They say, are you the person who's going to bring God's rule into our lives? Now at this point, I think the reading's really annoying. Because what you want Jesus to say is, yes. It would just make life much simpler, wouldn't it? Luke's version, Jesus' answers seem to be evasive. I don't think they are. I think that's just a, a, a style thing. But actually verse uh, 68 when he answers this question and the same again in verse 70 he doesn't give a straight yes and no and yet it's perfectly obvious what he's actually saying so we shouldn't be put off by that and if you don't think it's obvious what he's saying then we just look at the reaction of the Sanhedrin they have absolutely no doubt what Jesus means by his answer Jesus is saying yes I am God's chosen person to bring in God's rule in our lives. But he says, I'm not going to discuss that with you because you're not prepared to listen to me. And if I talk to you about it, you won't answer back. And you might think, well, why wouldn't they? Surely they, they're interested, surely they want to know. Well, the reason is that they've already made up their minds, haven't they? And you can see through the Gospels, they don't like Jesus. He doesn't fit their definition of what a God should look like. He mixes with the wrong people. He's not been properly educated. And he's a challenge to them. Doesn't suit them 
at all. They've closed their minds to the very possibility that Jesus could be the Messiah. John 5.39, Jesus says to them, look, you pour over the Bible because you think you're going to find eternal life there. But actually what the Bible does is point to me. They point to Jesus as being the source of life. But their minds, Jesus says, were closed. It's it's one of the details in this picture. I don't know whether you can quite see it, but uh, I presume that's Caiaphas in in white. But he's going out, it's all very religious, but can you see he's clutching the scrolls, he's clutching the Bible. But they are firmly shut, and they're wrapped up in his arms. He's not prepared to entertain the possibility of who Jesus really is. And that seems to me something that could well apply to many of us here today. And perhaps we sat through services so many times we just switch off at this point. But right now, the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, just open up your mind. Just be prepared to think again. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. And Jesus keeps going. Verse 39, he says, From now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Now, Son of Man, that could just mean a a person. But again, you look at the priest's reaction, and Jesus obviously means more than that. And one thing, of course, he does is he means himself. Because he's uh, talked about himself as the Son of Man. But the other thing he's doing is referencing a a famous passage uh, that the priests would all know, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where Daniel says, he sees one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. So in other words, he sees a person coming from God's side, coming from heaven. So Jesus is up the stakes again, not just a prophet, not just a Messiah, but actually, I come from the presence of God. That's where you begin to think, well, the Tsar may have a point. Jesus here, beaten up, meek, spoiled, crushed down. And yet, Jesus says, I am the Son of Man who've come from the presence of God. And Jesus keeps going. He says, not only that, verse 69, I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Now that idea of sitting at the right hand is an expression we still use. We still talk about a right hand man. It's very rarely a right hand woman, but we do talk uh, about a right hand uh, man. And if you think about it, we've got some chairs. Matt, come and be God for a minute. Um, So there we go. There's Matt. He's God, sitting on his throne, and here's me, or here's Jesus. And you think, well, who's in charge? It's obviously Matt, isn't he? He's up on high. Or supposing the chair's somewhere over here. He's sitting over here. And saying, well, who's got the authority here? It's obviously Matt. But Jesus says, that's not what's happening. Excuse me. I'm sitting at the right hand of God. And you come into the throne room 
and it's equal authority, isn't it? The Son and the Father in authority together. So that's the picture. Thank you so much. That's the picture that Jesus is giving them. And no wonder the reaction from the priest to that is to say, well, are you then the Son of God? That's the last layer of paint going on. I've been a prophet, the Messiah, the Son of Man who's come from heaven. Does that mean, say the priests, you're saying you are the Son of God? And again, there's a little bit of language in there. We've got to unpick. I mean, you could say, well, everybody's a son of God. You know, if, if God's up there, then, you know, we're all children of God, aren't we? But this is a very loaded question, isn't it? It's not just a, a, a general question like that. This is an intensely personal question. And Jesus uses that phrase in an intensely personal way all the way through his earthly ministry. What are the first words of Jesus, first recorded words of Jesus? Do you remember? He's uh, been lost in Jerusalem and his mum and dad are looking for him and they find him in the temple and they have a go at him for being there. And it's never struck me this before, but Jesus looks at his dad and says, didn't you know I'd be in my dad's house? So he says to his dad, you're not my dad. God is my father. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? This isn't your house, this is God's house. Right from the beginning, Jesus has made that very exclusive claim that he and the father are one. And of course, that is what gets him killed. That is the moment you see in the picture that condemns him. They don't use the words in Luke's passage to be here, here, but you are guilty because that is, that is blasphemy. Claiming to be God is the death sentence. And to some extent, this is the outworking of God's plan. This is the reason Jesus has to die. Not just because he's a prophet, not just because he's a Messiah, not even because he's some sort of angelic being, but because he is God. That is the deliberate outworking of God's plan. So we get these layers, they build up, they build up. And then we have to do something, I think, with that question that Luke asks, or that the Tsar asks, what kind of a Christ is this? Well, as I said before, you can do two things with that. You can simply reject the question, and you can say, well, it's all, all a load of nonsense. You can put yourself, if you like, above God and say, I know better. And this is not the Christ for me. And many people would say that. Many people you'll come across uh, at school, at college, uh, at work, <coughs> they, will, you know, they will come over feeling very intelligent and very bright and we can feel a bit foolish believing in a Christ like this, can't we? And I don't think there's any mistake in this painting that the priests are shown with the light on them 
and not the Lord Jesus. It's the priests who look as though they're clever, isn't it? It's them who look as though uh, they know what's going on. They've got it all together. And so often, I think, when we have to say to folk, yes, we believe in the Lord Jesus, we don't feel very clever, do we? We feel a bit stupid. But if that's how you feel, then let's look at the hope that's in this picture to reassure us as well. Because, of course, that light that's breaking, this was an overnight trail, trial, and that light in the picture could be the dawn of Good Friday. It could be Good Friday breaking on the priests as they walk out. And for those of us who do have our hope in the Lord Jesus, there's an interesting backstory to this picture, which um, I tried to find out more about, and, and, and I couldn't really. There's a video about this somewhere. The Tsar hated it so much uh, that it was never shown in exhibition, exhibition, and it ended up being put into storage. Uh, and it was never put on, on public display. And for a hundred years, it laid wrapped up in a bit of old tar cloth and some old newspapers. And eventually, <coughs> it was brought out. It's now on display in Moscow. And it took a very long time to clean it and get all the grot off and to restore the image to what it should have been. And that, of course is what the promise of the Lord Jesus is, isn't it? From now on, says Jesus, the Son of Man will be seated at God's right hand. Jesus is going to go out from this trial into the darkness to defeat death. And you get that there, don't you? Can you see that dark doorway in the background and the the spears of the soldiers are just glinting there. You can just about see them. This is the hour of darkness, Jesus says, where this seemingly weak figure, despised and rejected, is going to go to the cross, defeat the powers of darkness, so that we can live in eternal light. That small little figure may not be the Tsar's idea of Christ at all, but it is the Christ who gives us such hope. We didn't finish the quote earlier from Daniel chapter 7. But the Son of Man reference goes on to say that he is given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. However weak and wobbly we might feel, we know that we have a God who is not just a prophet, not just a superhero, not just an angel. The Lord Jesus was God on earth and all who believe in him are children of God. And so we trust in the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God. What sort of a Christ is that?